It's very pleasure to have Tom over here. Uh, Tom is finishing a PhD in Humboldt University, but he's been spending the last couple of years in, uh, in Prussia with uh, George and Karen Aaron, a very well-known guy, and historically uh, director of biology and harvesting and development of biology. Um, but Tom's going to tell us about some work that they've been doing on cell cycle variables and what we can learn. It's one of those questions where you are sure that they know this by now. All right, thanks for the introduction and uh, thanks for the invitation and uh, the opportunity to present some of my work here. So the uh, topic of my talk will be learning cell cycle variability at the level of each phase. Uh, I will start with a short introduction into the biology of cell cycle. So uh, the cell cycle is a process by which a cell uh, can replicate itself. So, um, for a unicellular organism, uh, cell, cell division is, uh, leads simply to an increase in the copy number of, of this organism. For a multicellular organism, the situation is a bit different. Uh, there, the cell cycle is very important in like processes like growth, or wound healing, or um, immune, uh, immune responses, but also uh, for um, um, uh, reproduction. So uh, the process by which a cell replicates itself can be uh, roughly grouped into four different phases. Uh, they're called S phase, T2 phase, M phase and T1 phase. During S phase uh, cells are replicating their genome, their DNA content from one copy to two copies. So they're uh, duplicating it. During mitosis the cell is actually uh, uh, physically separated, like the, the mother cell physically separates into two daughter cells. And in between those two phases, we have the G1 and G2 phase. They are called gap phases because uh, during these phases, cells are kind of uh, preparing for the, uh, the process that happened during mitosis and S phase. And also, for example, in, in G1 phase, cells are kind of sensing the environment to see if they should we enter uh, uh, another round of replication, or if they should maybe die or, or going to a resting state. Um, between different phases, you also have a kind of checkpoints where the cell uh, controls if everything has gone right in the previous phase. So for example, the, the G2 checkpoint, the cell sees if their DNA has been replicate, replicated in the correct way, and if something went wrong, the cell has kind of a way to repair, or if repair is impossible, it, uh, the cell will die. Um, in this talk, I will uh, mainly be interested in uh, estimating the time the cell takes to go to each of those phases. And um, I will not only be interested in the average time it takes for cell to go to a phase, but also on the variability. And uh, to start with, I will show you some data on the on measurements, on studies that have been done to estimate the uh, cell cycle length, so the, the time it takes to go to all four phases of the cell cycle. So there are uh, several different methods how you can estimate this from uh, proliferating cell populations. So uh, the first has been done, for example, for this data in '73, a long time ago. So people just took pictures of cells and uh, followed them as they divided, so they could uh, see how long it took cells not to divide or to divide. And um, 
for example, this data on the right is a so-called uh, CFSC dilution experiment where you label cells and you let them divide and each time uh, so you, you kind of paint the cells and each time the cell divides the paint will be uh, divided into two cells so the intensity will drop by two so you get you can follow follow this do we have a pointer maybe or it's probably okay like this but you, you start on the right and each time you divide you get um, you, you will get less label and here on the third this third data is again following cells by, by video microscopy and again you can just uh, count the time it takes for cell to go through cell cycle and what becomes apparent of those data sets is that even under very highly controlled conditions and all cells are uh, genetically identical you see that there's quite large variation so here for example in the log scale you see that it takes uh, you get kind of an, an exponential decay of cells that are not divided have not divided yet and there you see for example cells that have been activated over three days there in, uh, some have already divide about six times while others haven't at all. So there's kind of a, a large variability in homogeneous population and the question is where does this variability uh, originate? Thank you. So does it come maybe, uh, where does it happen? Does it happen in G1? Does it happen in S? Or, or in between or in both or in all three phases? Four phases, sorry. So uh, to study this a bit more in detail I came up with a, a model that includes variability in the time to go to each of the phases um, and the model is, is depicted here so we have again the four phases ST2M and T1 and I assume that the time to go to each phase is a random variable and uh, which has a, a density distribution given by a shifted exponential distribution so here you have a graph uh, showing the distribution and what you see that for each phase we have two parameters so one parameter gives a delay, which means that each cell will take at least this time to go to a phase, and then you have some parameters that controls the variability, which is here also the, this parameter gives you uh, 1 over alpha is the, also the standard deviation of this distribution. Uh, so we have in total 8 parameters, uh, 2 for each phase. Um, now that we have the model, we can do some predictions. Uh, and first thing that we can predict is how does the distribution look like for going to the whole cell cycle and you just uh, take the convolution of, of four uh, negative exponential uh, density distributions and uh, you can fit this to, to those data that I've seen before so you see here the points are the data points and the lines are, are the fitted distribution and on the right also fitted the model to the distribution by, that you got by video microscopy and what you can see that the, the, the lines fit quite well, however I have eight parameters and other models that use three parameters like the shifted log normal can equally well reproduce the data so it doesn't really tell, tell us much if the model is right or not but uh, at least it shows that it captures some of the, of the characteristics. Uh, to get a better, better understanding if, or to get better comparison of the model with data we need some more predictions so we can actually predict where a population that follows the model specified before where it will end up which is the steady state or which is the steady phase of, the, of such a population that would follow this model and it turns out that uh, 
one of the possible steady state is exponential growth, which is defined by a growth rate and a constant fraction of cells in each of the phases. Uh, so we want to predict those and uh, first step in doing so is um, to compute a rate coefficient for each phase and uh, this means we compute uh, if, this is, if this is a phase so we have outflow, inflow and, and number of cells inside the phase. If we take the ratio of both we can uh, take the integrals of what came in and the fraction of what came in, what gets out, over uh, everything what comes in but didn't get out. So this is what, what's inside of the phase. And uh, the function that we take here, because we know it's exponential growth, so the, this will be proportional to exponential with a, a, grace, a growth rate mu. And this out function will be the shifted exponential distribution. Here for those that, not, that didn't get out is 1 minus the integral of the uh, shifted exponential distribution. We can compute this and we get a time independent expression which will be kind of the steady state uh, uh, rate coefficient for each phase. We can use this to build up a transition probability matrix in steady state. So this, each of those gammas is now this expression you saw before. And we can uh, get a characteristic equation by taking the determinant of this matrix and uh, we set it to zero. This will allow us to compute for given parameters their growth rate. So basically on the denominator this will always be positive. So what you have to solve is basically this equation. Doesn't work all the time. Um, uh, you can do this numerically because there at least I couldn't find an analytical solution to that. Uh, maybe more interesting here are the eigenvectors. So this will be uh, the steady state fraction of cells in each of the phases and you can get an uh, expression for that. So now that we have the, uh, the steady state fraction, we want to compare them with experimental data and uh, so there are uh, several methods how you can determine those experimentally from a proliferating cell population. We'll explain the following one. So um, you are uh, during the cell cycle, cells are duplicating their DNA. So we kind of uh, use this characteristic to, to see in which phase cells actually are. Um, so we are using two colors. One color is specific for the DNA content of a cell. So we know that this will double through the cell cycle. From in G1 it will be uh, 1 in arbitrary units and in, in G2 it will be 2. And of course uh, between those phases there, there, this amount will, will be in between. Um, the second color that we use is uh, a bit different because it's actually a, a time and dyne analog. So what happens is that cells that are actually uh, synthesizing DNA, they take this time and dyne analog and uh, build it into their DNA. So only cells that are actually in the process of INS phase of the cell cycle will use this time and dyne to build their DNA. So afterwards this will, this is permanent, so this will uh, be kept in the DNA and when you label then uh, cells with a BRDU antibody, antibody, you can see which cells were in uh, S phase during the labeling phase. So you actually gave only small pulse of this BRDU and then afterwards you, you can follow those cells that have been in S phase during the labeling phase. So what you expect if you do that immediately after, after labeling, 
So you have cells here on the bottom, you have the DNA, so uh, this gives you the DNA content. So there are uh, cells with 2N, DNA 2N, 2N because each cell has uh, pairs of chromosomes and uh, at the end of, of S phase it will have 4N uh, genome. And here on the y-axis you have to be due. So this means that those cells have been, it's really not working that good, but uh, so these cells have been uh, in S phase during the time of labeling. So and uh, on the right here I show a fax, fax data, so uh, which is basically uh, the same than here, but um, here each dot corresponds to a single cell that has been activated, so it had those labels into it, and uh, it gets activated by laser, and then you can measure how much of both colors it had when it went through. So you, you really take single cells, and these are uh, you can get about 100,000 data points from from the cell culture, and you get something like this. So the question is now, what can we learn if we measure those fractions in steady state? And assume that we also measured mu. Uh, we actually, sorry, I have to mention this. Can you tell us, on the previous plot, can you tell us what the, the three populations are on the close Yes, they are basically the same, uh, the same uh, population. And I forgot to tell, to tell this, and before we had four phases. We had T1, S, T2, and M. Now, due to uh, experimental uh, constraints, we cannot separate T2 and M, so we actually uh, kind of join them into a single phase to, to make the analysis. So everything, uh, what I will uh, speak about in the following, we'll assume that we have three phases, not four as before. So here is the G1, here will be the S phase, and here are uh, the G to M. There are ways to separate those, but uh, I don't have the data for, for that here. So, when we measure mu, G1, S, and T2M with the previous method, we get basically, uh, because uh, these are fractions, so they will sum to one, so we have three conditions, so we get basically three relationships between alpha and beta. So we, don't, we cannot estimate all the parameters, which are six now, but we get kind of three relationships which are drawn here. So this is in parameter space. We have here one over alpha and here beta. And you see that we get kind of, they are not straight lines, but they are close to straight lines, showing all the possible parameters that, that fit into a given, uh, for a given data. And you can see when you follow those lines here on top, here, means that the phase is deterministic, so it doesn't have any variability, but it has a very long delay. On the other hand, if, you have, if you're here, there, you have a very zero delay, but a very large variability. So uh, every solution that goes between those two and stays on this line will, will uh, reproduce the data. Um, okay, so uh, from this data, we can get some information, but it's quite limited. Uh, to understand a little bit better what is going on, uh, we need to uh, bring the system out of its equilibrium. So before we, we, uh, we analyze the equilibrium situation, so now we kind of make a perturbation to the uh, equilibrium and uh, assume that uh, we, we are uh, 
doing kind of a thought experiment that we could separate cells in a given phase at a given time. So let's, let's assume we, we could separate all cells that are in S phase in our growing population and what would happen to this, this population? So they are initially in S, then they would get into G2M, they would here uh, divide, get into G1, and S, G2M and so on and so forth. So um, this is what our model would predict. Uh, here on the top, I, on the bottom, I have a continuous time discrete event simulation of such a process. So you can see cells are first in S, they get out, and here they appear again, and so on. So uh, here the, the, the straight lines are the sum in the case that I couldn't separate this S from this S. Okay. So we want to predict those dynamics. Are there any questions? Okay, so um, how do we predict those dynamics? So basically in the same way as before we computed the steady state, uh, we actually uh, want to know how many cells get out of S phase and we do it by the same similar expression than before. So we compute um, the cells that get into the phase, the fraction of cells that got out of those and over <coughs> the cells that got into it and but didn't get out until the time of labeling. So what happens basically when you label or when you separate the cells, no new cells will get into this phase again. So we stop kind of getting inflow until the time we label and then you see how cells get out. So this gets you the first flow out of S phase. Uh, if you want to know how many cells are in S phase, you just uh, integrate over time this flow. It, if you normalize it so you get one minus the integral over the outflow and you multiply it by the steady state fraction you compute before. So then you know how many cells are in those phase, remained in this phase over time. Now that you want to know maybe that how many cells are in G2M, so you do the same thing basically, you see how much got in, which is defined by the flow from S into G2M, and you multiply it by those that didn't get out, which is again the, the cumulative of the uh, one minus cumulative of the uh, negative shift exponential distribution and because we start with S we multiply it by the initial fraction of cells in S phase. So by this we can predict uh, this kind of thought experiment. So now let's get to, to real experiment and uh, here this picture you, you already knew before this uh, where we could separate cells in different phase and as I said you told you the staining is permanent so cells keep the BRDU inside of their DNA even when they divide once or twice and so on. So what happens if we follow now this cell population over time and we take samples at different time points after labeling what happens is that those cells continue to divide so here is the initial condition that we had before and now what happens is that those cells in S they will continue uh, replicating their DNA so they will kind of migrate to the right so they will accumulate here, where they will enter G2M. Cells, for example, that are in G1, they will start to get into S phase, they will start synthesizing. So we expect that they appear, for example, here. Okay, so we have like dynamics of the different population over time, and here is linear interpolation, so we have some, some dynamics. And uh, now we have the, the model prediction, we have the dynamics, so we want to compare both. So that's just one one experiment to the time cross from a single collection of cohort of cells. 
Yeah, you can do it or either with, with a single, like with the same uh, population or you can do different, uh, different samples. Exactly, yeah. Um, uh, well, there are, uh, you can see that there are different dots, so they're actually different cultures, but kind of uh, homogenized in the sense that they're all, all done in the same way. So you don't need to have a big culture and take cells out, but you can have different plates where you, where you make the same experiment. So now we can compare the predictions with, with the model. So we have six parameters now and we compare it with, with the data. Uh, we have two different data sets. Here is a uh, human cancer cell line, which is grown in, in vitro. And here are some uh, uh, Chinese hamster cells that uh, also grow in vitro. And uh, for example, here I show the time point zero. Here's the uh, six hours later. You see here that this blue population is appearing, which is their cells that divided already once. And this is also here the, the blue line. And you can see that the model kind of uh, can uh, reproduce those kinetics. However, when you do a, a Bayesian inference, you will see that uh, many different parameter values can still reproduce those data equally well. So, for example, here are the 95% uh, credibility regions <coughs> for each parameter. So red is for S phase, gray is for G1 phase, and uh, green is for T2M phase. So, it seems that we only learned kind of the uh, G2M phase parameters, but for example, for the G1 phase parameters, we have a huge uh, uh, region which actually covers the whole line that we saw before for only measuring the, um, the steady state conditions. So, meaning that even though we have measured all those kinetics, we didn't learn much about, about those parameters. Um, Situation is a bit better in, in, in this data, which, uh, but still it, it's not ideal. So uh, to overcome this, this problem, it turns out that uh, the reason why we cannot very well define the parameters is because uh, population are mixing. So we don't have the full information about like we had before with our uh, separate population. So for example here, if you uh, see the as phase population, if it gets into G2M, we cannot, it's difficult to separate to say if those cells here are in S or in G2M. So they get kind of overlapping and we lose this information of the kinetics in each of them. So to overcome this problem, we came up with a, a new protocol. Here on top we have the, uh, the previous uh, protocol which where you have uh, cultures that are proliferating and you give them a BRDU pulse and then uh, you measure them at different time points after after uh, after the pulse. So um, what we propose is that um, still doing the same BRDU pulse at the beginning but just before you sample your, your cultures you give them a second pulse with something which is very similar to BRDU but which you can separate it from it uh, by, by, by measurement. So uh, this will give us the following picture of the same data than we saw before, but now um, the red dots are kind of the one, the additional information we would get from the second pulse. And you see like the different population that we can 
uh, separate from the uh, traditional experiment are here 3, 3, 4, 4, and then 3, and 3. And you see that the, the numbers show the new population that we can follow now due to the new protocol. So we can actually follow much more population than before. And um, doing, we didn't do the, so the experiment are actually uh, being prepared, so they are ongoing, but uh, we still haven't uh, got the results yet. So uh, to test if this method would give better results, we simulated data to test uh, the protocol before. And uh, we add kind of the same noise that we found for the, for the previous data and we try to extract again the, the correct parameters. So, and, and the result, what you see here as an example, is that all those regions are shrunk to, to much lower values. So our uncertainty about parameters uh, became less. So in principle, potentially with this model, we can estimate our parameters much better with less, less data points. Okay. To summarize, so uh, present a model that uh, includes uh, variability in each of the phases. Uh, it can kind of explain the cell cycle length distribution quite well. It also reproduced the average kinetics that we see in this BRDU pulse labeling experiments. Um, and it could show us actually that the current experiments are not optimal and that they can, can be improved by, by a new protocol, which is a dual pulse protocol because we are doing two pulses instead of one. And uh, so we are trying to set this up in, in, in the lab. So there have been previous studies that use this uh, dual pulse protocol but kind of either in a different setting or they fixed the time point of both without adapting the second time point always just before you sample which gives you the maximum information out of the, of the data. So um, a question is if we can, can apply this like style culture is very interesting but uh, most of the interesting question in, in immunology, for example, are not uh, in cell culture, but you want to test them in, in vivo. So um, we need to kind of switch from this very simple model to maybe a bit more complex, complex situation. So for example, these uh, cell lines, they are just uh, growing without, if they have enough nutrients, they just grow and grow and grow and nothing else happens. So in, in vivo, things are much more complex. And uh, just we'll go quickly through what, uh, what um, germinal centers are. So I want to apply this method to the estimation of cell cyclings in germinal centers. Uh, germinal centers are uh, aggregates of about 1,000 to 10,000 cells that appear during an immune response. Um, what happens is that uh, in our body we have like millions and millions of, of, uh, of B cells. Uh, each B cells are part of the immune system. Each B cell carry a very specific receptor on its surface which only recognize one or very few antigens like bacteria or virus. So each cell is specific to a certain antigen, to a certain bacteria or to cer certain virus. And um, now when uh, uh, bacteria is entering our body, those cells, only those cells that recognize it with sufficiently strength will become activated. And those cells will produce then, after being activated, they will proliferate and they will produce uh, their receptor they had on the, their specific receptor on the surface, they will produce this in a soluble form so that it gets spread in the whole body. So these are called plasma cells. 
Now, usually those receptors are fine because they recognize almost everything, but they are not very strong. So, if the antibodies that got produced by this first response are not sufficiently strong to clear the bacteria, cells enter the germinal center. So this is kind of a second response which will improve their binding strengths of the receptors of, of, of those specific B cells to the antigen. And this happens in the following way. So cells enter the germinal center and they start to proliferate. So they, they divide and they increase in number. And then at the same time they start to mutate the genes that corresponds to the B cell receptor that previously bound to the bacteria. Okay, so they, they can kind of target mutations to these genes that, that uh, express, that, that code the B cell receptor. And what happens is that most of those uh, mutations will destroy the binding because either they destroy the structure of the, of the uh, B cell receptor or they just change something that was important for the binding. And in another case also, so most will destroy the binding, some will not change anything in the binding because maybe they changed something that was neutral. And finally there's very rare mutation that may improve, improve the binding. And so what happens in the German center is that exactly those that improved the binding, they will get selected with the help of other immune cells, which are T cells, and uh, they will get selected to further proliferate, so they will further divide, and maybe again mutate and again increase their affinity to the, to the antigen. So this is kind of a stepwise increase, kind of an uh, optimization, biological realization of an optimization mechanism, where cells increase their, their, their affinity to the antigen. And over like two weeks or so, their, their affinity can, can increase a hundredfold of the antibodies uh, that are produced. Finally, when um, uh, cells in this process can also differentiate again into those cells that produce this receptor but in soluble form, so they become plasmoblast or plasma cells, they will migrate to the bone marrow and continuously produce this over weeks or years even, those antibodies that have been optimized for this specific pathogen. At the same time, they can also become memory cells, so they can, um, uh, memory cells are like the initial B cells, but they are much faster in responding to an antigen, so they are, uh, they mount a very fast and, and uh, uh, more effective immune response than, than naive, so-called naive B cells. Um, the mechanism that leads to so this differentiation are not very clear, but what is clear is that there the pace of affinity, or the, the pace of uh, this process of increasing their affinity will depend on how fast cells can proliferate. If they can do this very fast, of course they can try out more mutations, they, can, they have like, more freedom to, to, to progress. So definitely a, a weight limiting step in this process is how fast those cells proliferate. So there's no real interest in estimating this, and this has been done since the 60s, trying people trying to estimate the cell cycle lengths in germinal centers. And the problem is that in order to do so properly, you have to kind of integrate several, like the first the migration in this germinal center, then you have to integrate the uh, heterogeneity, so it's not very homogeneous. So you have cells that are proliferating here, you might have cells that are getting selected, 
So uh, the idea is to, to kind of, uh, you need to integrate this into your models to extract the right, the right estimate. So uh, step toward this is the following model. We assume as before that cells can cycle in the, uh, in, in the different phases of the sound cycle. And uh, additionally, they have kind of a, a way to get into the selecting compartment through. So possible states are, again, as before, uh, S, G1, S, T2M. And then we have a further compartment, which is selection. And assume that cells in selection are in G1 phase. Uh, then after selection being completed, cells either can exit the germinal center or again enter a further round of division. So meaning that those were the ones that got selected due to their higher affinity compared to, to, to their peers. So uh, as before, we like here are the different transition that we have. So we have the transition inside of the south cycle, which go from S to T2M and T2M to T1. But we also have this uh, transition where a cell is kind of deciding what to do or, or either it keeps dividing immediately or it gets into selection and then maybe gets out or gets in again. So, uh, but basically it's the same uh, methodology than I used before. So I feel the, the uh, transition probability matrix and I can get the steady state conditions and I also can uh, predict as, as on the bottom here the different uh, flows and the different number in different phases and I will compare this with data. So these are two data sets that have been published in 2007 and both have been in 2007. And uh, this is data from the journal centers. So these are journal center specific cells that have been labeled with BRDU. And like this, this label that gets incorporated into, into cells that are synthesizing their DNA. And we follow the dynamics over time. And uh, here day seven means that this was seven days after demonization. So after the, uh, these animals did first see their antigen. So uh, what we can see that we can again reproduce those, uh, those data by the prediction of the model. And the question is how, how much can we extract from, from the parameters? So um, here the noise is quite uh, larger than, than what we saw before because the conditions are, are much more complex and uh, we're also <coughs> using different animals, so animals are also highly variable in between each other, so uh, we have more noise, and which, um, which as a consequence doesn't allow us to get any information about the variability, but we can get quite good estimate about the uh, average length in each of the phases, and of course of uh, the new compartment, which is here selection. So here I show you, uh, using the analytical solution of, of the model, I compared the model with, with the data using a Bayesian inference approach uh, with a quite a simple noise, uh, noise model, uh, which if you want we can discuss later. So uh, these are the marginal uh, posterior densities for the different parameters of interest. So we have the average time in G1, in S, in T2M, for selection here, also the probability to get again here into cell cycle after being selected. So this would be kind of the fraction of cells that maybe increase their affinity after after mutation. So they can they can re-enter the cell cycle, um, and we also have the average cell cycle length. And I won't go into all of those, but um, 
what you can see here for the cell cycle, for both data sets, their estimates are quite close to each other. So they're about 9 to 10 hours, um, which is kind of, uh, uh, what can I say, which was a previous estimate of the cell cycle in German centers were about between 20 hours for the whole cell cycle and about six hours for a, uh, a certain part of the cell cycle. So they're, they're quite different from what, what was known before. Of models that didn't take into account that there might be heterogeneity in the general center. And then the uh, second interesting uh, result was that it seemed that the selection took much longer than the cell cycle. So there are a lot of cells seemingly in, at least in G1 phase, maybe waiting for comparing each other with their other cells in the German center to, to become selected or to exit the cell cycle or maybe to differentiate, so this is uh, sizing. And uh, interestingly, the, uh, the data at a later time point did have much longer selection phase. So what is known that the uh, German center reaction wanes away after, after about uh, 10 days or so, so it starts growing there you find a lot of uh, germinal center B cells in, in the animal and then it, it, uh, uh, it wanes away. So and it's not quite clear why, why germinal center decrease in size. So one possible explanation would be that they just take so long in selection that they don't enter, enter uh, the cell cycle anymore. So uh, this is kind of work in progress, so, but I think it's quite uh, interesting to see how if you assume a bit more complex model, what 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 output can be, and it I think it also shows how those uh, experiments can give you a lot of information which uh, you couldn't extract if you wouldn't have the modeling approach. So you cannot just s see from those data uh, what is going on. So I think that's and. With this, I, I want to thank first my uh, supervisor at the uh, IGC in, in Portugal, George Canedo, my co-supervisor in, in Berlin, Michal Ogil. Uh, those people that did uh, the experimental work, which is um, for the U87 uh, cell line Irene Jenert in Munich, then uh, at the IGC for the dual pulse experiments, Rugan and Thelma Lopez, uh, for the general center data, which has been published previously, Anja Hauser and Chris Allen, and of course, uh, thank you for your attention. Yeah, I've been working on that to uh, kind of uh, use the, the information I have from, let's say, get the samples in a sequential fashion, like take the first sample, then estimate when will be the optimal time point to get the next one. Um, and this works quite well, so what, I, what I've been using is kind of, a, uh, again, a, a Markov chain Monte Carlo approach to uh, So, um, how can I say that? There, um, usually, due to the delays in, in the different phases, you get, uh, for each kinetics, you get like a whole 
region in space, as you have seen before, a whole region in space that uh, that is compatible with your data. So uh, what I did is averaging over all those possible combinations to see where the variability will be largest in the expected data. And then I decide, of course, in simulation now, but the thing is, uh, the idea is also to apply this in, in real experiment, to decide to place the next measurement exactly there where you expect most variability. So if then you make the measurement there, you will reduce the, the variability at this place and, and uh, decrease the uncertainty power parameters. And this actually works, works uh, quite well. And uh, the problem is that because you're experimentally, there's the, the, the issue that you have to restart your experiments every time you do next. So you have to start the first pulse in order to take most advantage of the, of the information you got from the, from the first one. But uh, yeah, this is possible and makes, makes sense. Can we just ask one more question, which is um, your estimate for the cell cycle uh, length in the Japanese after this 10 hours? How does that compare to estimates if there weren't B cells taken from a Japanese sample? So, so, is that if I get you B cells from the lymph node or B cells during the immune response, what would you expect it to be? Yeah, so for example, uh, here. So for this data, it fits quite well. So these are B cells activated in, yeah, yeah. and they have about nine hours. So it's about the same as what I was seeing. Yeah. So I was just wondering whether you think that they're cycling faster or not. Well, yeah, apparently they don't. So there are estimates where people did only estimates in, uh, in the general center. You have uh, one zone. Uh, you can see kind of two zones, a dark zone and a light zone. And usually people assume that cells are proliferating in the dark zone and then migrate to the light zone uh, to get selected. Um, and what they measured in the dark zone, that cells proliferate there for six hours. And what I think from, from this modeling approach that actually they estimated six hours because they didn't take into account that cells are migrating. So at the time they, they weren't that sure that cells are migrating. Now we know exactly by a live microscopy that cells are migrating. So by getting migration into the model, they actually increase, like you would uh, kind of the estimates on the cell cycle lengths in the dark sun are clearly biased by this migration. So I... Uh,